You're listening to Terra from the album Glow 2. And the personnel from the first record changed a little bit uh, in the course of the following years after the release. I kind of had the concept that whenever this band was called to, to play live, I uh, toyed around with, with different instrumentations and, and asked a few guys always, which was was the, the trio of Robert Landfermann and Jonas Burgwinkel, who are present today, and also Niels Klein, who is also present today. That was kind of the core uh, group, uh, and whenever we were called, um, I assembled new groups. So this time, you're listening to John Schröder on guitar, and on uh, saxophone, Christian Weidner, as well as Niels Klein on saxophone and uh, Henning Sieverts on bass and my trio with Robert and Jonas. So this is from the uh, live recording, I recall, the, the first track. It's yeah. not from the studio. No. And that's how the concert started? I think so, yeah. Terra was always a nice way to, to open the concerts, I recall. I think I wrote this tune uh, right after we finished uh, the first record. And we got asked to, to play uh, one or two gigs with the group. I remember a gig in Cologne at the uh, VDR Jazz Fest with a slightly different um, instrumentation. And I think I wrote this for, for that concert. Very little written material. She's just a pattern for the harmonic players, whoever chooses to play it. A couple of bass notes and a melody, two melodies. It's the A and B section. To, to the intro we just uh, heard when I imagine not knowing the tune I would think oh this is kind of a free free thing but listening it now knowing the piece quite well it's, it's, it's only the written stuff yeah. uh, going on so it's now I'm introducing the B section with a slightly different pattern So this was the only time John Schröder was on guitar, right? Yes. But was it also the only time Christian Weidner played with us on a Glow gig? I remember the, the this particular concert in Bonn very well because of John Schröder, because he was not playing his own acoustic guitar yeah you borrowed he, it yeah and uh, I remember that some some guy came and gave him the guitar so John ah, here's your guitar and backstage he, he opened the case and took the guitar out and immediately started playing Lightspeed 
and, and never put the guitar down until somebody said, okay, John, now it's, you have to go on stage. The concert is over now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more like this. Yeah, in pieces like this, there's nothing planned. I mean, there, there's two sections that we kind of loop or morph into each other, but I want all the players, always wanted all the players to choose freely whenever they feel like playing something. May and it be, we did. Uh, yes, you <laughs> did. May it be written or not written. And all the written materials like a toolbox or that you can use and assemble it in your your way. never wrote down chord symbols or uh, harmonies for this, only the, those little patterns because I like the vagueness of it and people discovering their interpretation of it in the moment. I think now we're going to hear the melody again. I like that the melody becomes its own thing. It's more a gesture. It's not what I wrote, but kind of a variation or... Niels, you just treated it very loosely. I like that. Yeah, you... We talked a lot about this during the times we performed, that you kind of gave me this section leader role or whatever we called it. So yeah. you put me a little bit in charge of handling maybe what happens with the horn players and, and I always thought of that while playing you know it's just okay like an orchestra I had this semi role as an kind of an orchestrator to, to yeah. have the, the power to call the horns in you know and so yeah with these kind of gestures which was, and that, that's really what I like about playing in the band always that it's uh, it, that you can orchestrate in a way. So, mm. as, as a horn player in a, in a smaller setting, um, when you play more improvised material and not maybe tunes or something, then I particularly have always this 
it's not a problem, but it's okay. When you start playing as a horn player, it's, it's always like, okay, no, it's the horn player, the saxophone. He, he's going to play a solo or he's going to play the melody. Uh, and, um, uh, and in this larger group, it's, it's totally easy to just play a little bit and then stop again just as a little thing in the background. And yeah. That's really what I like about playing in this. I always enjoyed that very much, to be in the middle ground or in the background and then suddenly step up and do something. <laughs> Thing that uh, counts for everybody. Also, the rhythm section, especially since there are two bass players. For me, it's uh, I really like that uh, kind of blurriness that is created. Uh, like that, I can decide to play with either one of them or with uh, with none of them, and all three things happen. Um, and there's so many different um, flows in this band, and you. You can choose your own path to create another thing, or you uh, you pe you team up with certain groups. Um, and uh, I always really like this. The, the the focus was more, or is more blurry, and um, but there's always plenty of energy uh, and uh, inspiration in the room. It's and you could choose freely what you don't want to play. You, you I never felt forced to do anything. Because somebody's going to play something at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somehow it's John who is keeping the whole thing running the whole time. It's, mm. I have the feeling it's the third time he's featured in a little duo, trio yeah. setting. It's really nice. He was. I remember him being very dominant on stage. Yeah. And, and pushing. Uh, yeah, it's a weird role for an uh, acoustic guitar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he always gives so many opportunities to go somewhere. Full of ideas. I always found it funny, Niels. Now you're introducing the, the C part, and you because I think prior to this recording, prior to this live recording, you uh, you did the arrangement that we did with the trio and the NDR big band, so you know the tune quite well. And you played something that is meant to be for the bass or for the second bass to play on top. And I never heard it like a melody or something like that. And, but you always introduced this this segment, and it was really nice for me too, because I never intended it to be like that. It's, it's I played that like the top voice. Yeah. Of the, yeah. I think when um, I mean playing this music, you have the sheet in front of you, but it's like. Most of the music is freely improvised, and, and sometimes uh, I just look at the paper and just pick what I see and, and go with it. And, uh, yeah. Um, so maybe that's why I chose this line. Um, and I, 
<laughs> yeah, I was just going to talk about that because uh, the expectation thing. Because uh, um, even if it's maybe from my point of view as a you know, composer or whatever, um, I think about that a lot about the shape and of the while, while playing this kind of music. So I was maybe in that, at that point I was a little uh, was impatient. Uh, you know this. Yeah. Okay. Now maybe it's time if we want to keep the bow there's the vamp still and if you know that it, we should go to the vamp now and i wanted to introduce it in a subtle way not yeah no, what, i cannot play it as a bass person you know right? so yeah, i, I, I really, like that yeah I, i really like the vamp very much and i remember arranging it for i mean i did the big band version which kind of went went was really big <laughs> yeah. and then I adapted it later for the for the orchestra I guess right same yeah. arrangement and I always really like that band and I, I wrote tons of counterpoint melodies on it so I, and it's so it's in, in your head a little bit when you play yeah and I, I and I, I really connect very much even if it's just a simple thing but uh, it's very ambiguous harmonically you can yeah, Can really connect to it. <laughs> I think your arrangement showed me different ways to approach it harmonically. I, I learned a lot from your arrangement <laughs> okay. of it. Yeah, thanks. As you know, I'm I'm really a big fan of slow, large builds. <laughs> The people who know me know. We know. <laughs> John is still doing it.
think it's a little callback also. Maybe not intentious, but uh, um, to the original piece, Glow, that one could imagine over that C part. I definitely, when I hear this, I get the feeling, okay, this, this, it was a live concert, it was played there. And, I, I, and maybe you have that too sometimes. When Now you I get the feeling too. With <laughs> yeah, oh, oh. <laughs> that's proof. Know that uh, sometimes when you have live recordings on an, on an album, which is otherwise in, in the studio, you have this. Uh, and I remember this feeling from playing in this band that you have this okay, now we're really going over the top. <laughs> And uh, that sometimes you, you don't want to hear on the record if it's just uh, like uh, you lose control a little bit too much. And, Thank uh, you. Thank you. <clears throat> it's great to have that energy, but it's, uh, it's just, oh, yeah, this was definitely played for, for a big hall <laughs> of yeah. people. And then you, you go on another energy level uh, when you play it uh, in this way, maybe, than in the studio. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> but I also think that it takes courage sometimes to to take the extra mile uh, to really be uh, um, honest and ask yourself: Is this really everything I can give, or is there more? I th I think I, I can, you know, thinking about myself here, my involvement in that last section, I can definitely hear one moment where I was like. I can retrace that thought a little bit where I was thinking this is pretty loud already or this is pretty energetic already <laughs> but can I really dare myself to go to yeah to go a little bit further than that mm, I thought the same thing like it could have gone on for longer actually yeah no yeah I definitely remember that it's like this feeling when you try to hit like uh, a point in, in your solo or in the in a group effort and it's you are at your maximum and it still goes on but sometimes it ta it feels long when you play it and then when you listen back it feels like now yeah I, i'm sure it felt long when we played it mm. or this is going on for quite a while and we're quite brave to do it or whatever <laughs> uh, but as robert said we could have stayed there also okay maybe Take two next time. Pinatubo is a song that I wrote for um, actually a, a piece of art that um, we used for our trio record, Trio Live. And it's uh, a painting by Emil Schumacher an artist, painter, and we use this for the, um, for the cover of the trio record and I really wanted to write something for that painting, looking at that painting and was inspired by it. On the, on the technical side, I wanted to write something where there was a steady pulse and uh, rhythmic events, harmonic events going on, but a melody that is Uh, can be played in a loose way on top of it, which in a way fits every time whenever you start playing it. That was my uh, objective. Now there's the melody. So very different sound now in the room. And yeah. very different personnel, right? Yes. 
Bring it, Jones. Klaus Stötte, Trumpet, Philipp Gropper, Saxophon, Nils Klein, Ronny Graupe on acoustic guitar, Hubert Nuss on harmonium and celesta, and Henning Sieberts and the trio. Yeah, that was the follow-up recording session to the first album, Glow. I think three years apart. Done in uh, September of 2013. Recorded at the Chamber Music Hall of Deutschlandfunk. Yeah. One big room, but great sound. remember we had it was quite a challenge everybody in one room with this those very soft acoustic instruments like acoustic guitar celeste and harmonium and then playing um, clarinet yes. yeah but clarinet is, is loud and it, or it is more focused than a celeste yeah, yeah for the rest normal playing drums and two basses It's like written for my fifth string, <laughs> and the one of the form is the low H, low B. B yeah. Now that you talked about the the, the title and the, the painting, um, I was just wondering if you. Uh, Because you never told us that, uh, that kind of stuff in the studio. Is it like uh, what your, your thought on, thoughts on this? Is it like on purpose or you just want to not to have people to to a concrete thing in mind when they play? Or Yeah, um, I think I want to do that more actually, say what I'm thinking of when I write something. Um, but I'm not sure if I did it didn't do it on purpose. I think leading a band like that takes a lot of, uh, as you know, mm. a lot of uh, headspace and you have to think of, of so many things and sometimes in the studio you kind of lose the, um, how should you say, the, or I maybe lost the relaxation of making everybody feel good yeah. in that way or trying to inspire everybody. I was more focused on the music itself, I think. No, I, I didn't miss it or anything. It's, yeah. I think you had a great way to, to lead this kind of group because it's, uh, you leave a lot of space for everybody, but it's clear what you, your intention is always clear. So mm. it's, uh, yeah. it's, you feel that openness, that uh, the question marks which are in the room are intentional yes <laughs> and, it, and it's not bad question marks it's good question marks and mm -hmm. that's really what I like and thank you yeah especially this tune I, I wanted to be like a question mark actually 
I think I like it because it's so challenging for all the players to really bring themselves in. There's no way to fake through a tune or to just um, go on autopilot or something like that. So you always have to be very aware and it's yeah, taking the players serious. That's what I like about it. Yeah, but the material is still uh, focused so much that you always have the feeling, okay, we have to play this composition now. It's not just some free-blowing, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's the challenging yeah. part, yeah. Mm. inspiration for this tune came from a dream I had where I was uh, imagining or whatever you call it, was dreaming of an uh, uh, underground cave full of uh, glowing uh, green crystals. And I think these, these high notes were something that I asked the band to do. Play as high as you can, but as soft as you can. And me and Hubert introduce these these harmonies that are supposed to be the the crystals a little bit. The tune consists of also of, of three parts that more or less have to be played in, in sequence, but how long you play them and what happens during them is more or less free also. But being terrified of the beginning because it's uh, so easy to when you try to play really high notes on the saxophone really soft it's always the danger of having some really nasty honk <laughs> <laughs> come out instead so. <laughs> The guys are actually playing around with the melody I wrote down, which could happen over those crystal things that um, me and Hubert play.
I can't even tell if it's me or Henning. <laughs> I think it's Henning. you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for knowing me so good, <laughs> guys. <laughs> What I recall playing these tunes, I mean, there's a lot of material on the sheet, but it's still so open that these, uh, to manage your own expectations is a great uh, topic for me, you know, it's doing what is what keeps keeps a good flow and, and introducing something but not doing the obvious thing uh, you know keeping the balance between between those things and uh, I was afraid of doing the obvious but sometimes the obvious is the thing the which, right thing yeah which just the, the most natural thing and about this not knowing who you actually play with uh, it happens a lot when you play live with this band that I, because I like to close my eyes while playing and then I play with a with a saxophone and I'm and I just assume it's Niels or it's <laughs> Philip but then I open my eyes and it could be uh, the other one same yep. thing with the basses and sometimes you don't know who who is doing what where this this sound is coming from and because uh, there's so much going on I really like that. This is Philip Gropper playing, by the way. Somehow, with this three-part harmony thing going on the horns, I always had to think of Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. Yeah, totally. But it's so great, it's in there. <laughs> and it's, of course, like a shorter sextet, like Say and this kind of things. Yeah. Bit of footprints. I know if I wouldn't have been involved in this recording and would hear it totally just as a pure listener, it, I would go crazy. If, like after five minutes into a piece, sometimes this arranged three-part thing comes in. Yes, <laughs> it's so great. But it's all part of what can happen. like those transitioning moments also before this groove part after the first section mm. was really nice tension before the groove started if it was me i'm sorry i started <laughs> too early <laughs> no but uh, it's it's always this thing in the uh, how many people are playing in this group and it's eight or 
even 10 maybe mm -hmm. and and some people may think oh there's such a great tension in the room and some people would think why isn't he starting already you know <laughs> <laughs> it's Okay, now I'm introducing the harmony for the last part. I, I remember it was always a bit hard to, uh, yeah, because the harmony is also pretty involved and sounds similar also uh, to get everybody on board where where the one is of the of that form. But I think it's here. One. Oh. <laughs> When I said one, it was actually two. Yeah, two. <laughs> yeah and, and I remember having a hard time too because like the the root of the last bar in the form is the same as in the first, yes. so you get like extra confused. And yeah. And I, I was the one to have to to have to cue the the guys yes. in. <laughs> you don't want to do it in the wrong place. But still, then it's, uh, it was a lesson in, in, in trust and listening for me too, because it's not like this kind of school right. type of vibe. Okay, now I have to give a cue. It's just like if you just listen and just do it, it will be right, come out right in the end. Huh? Yeah. I always try to to make the transition to, to make it washy that yeah. it's to really grow into it that you cannot tell when it's gonna when it's really written. Remember, we played this on your birthday in the Art Theater once, right? Yes. In Köln. Yeah. It was a nice gig too. It's on YouTube, yeah.
Longstreth Blues is a tune of mine that I uh, wrote for Dave Longstreth, who is the founder of the great band Dirty Projectors, a band that I really admire, and him as a composer and band leader in particular. I think for a while I only talked about this band and I'm pretty sure I got on everybody's nerves <laughs> about this. But yeah, I channeled it in in this song, which uses some of the things I've I think I've learned from this band. Having one melody, but um, divided into different melody players, so everybody plays one note. And that was a great challenge to do that. When you have the the sheet here, and I remember, I think we didn't have this written out sheet. I think we just had the melody and had divided up by ourselves. Yeah, and right. Then, yeah. It was a great feeling, like a colleague thing, you know. Mm. It's, you don't get to play with other tenor players in the same band. And was such such a great experience and such a friendly thing and then to share this me melody was like a yeah even even that you know <clears throat> that was great and and just compositionally it's this kind of weird delay which we have this overlapping notes and stuff it's it's mm. a great effect it's always almost sounds like if it's like uh post-production kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's a great sound with the harmonium, Hubert. Sounds yeah. like an orchestra. Yeah, I always have to think of, with with this song, I have to, with him comping with like that behind me, I have to think of Bird with Strings somehow. Mm -hmm. Or the, I, th I re still remember thinking that in that moment, I was thinking of that. We need, you need an oboe for that. It's true. <laughs> what is what is it you uh, you would say is like the the, the Dutch projector stuff? Because you just said you channeled yeah, it into. That's the, the the melody thing is one one thing, but uh, certainly uh, a couple of those voicings I, mm -hmm. I got from uh, I got from that band. And also, I, d I was just thinking, when I wrote it, I was thinking of Dave Longstreth singing this melody, how he would sing it, and that made me change certain notes in the melody because my instinct went in a different way. And I kind of, I think I learned something about melody from him. But it's sometimes it's also hard to put into word what, uh, words what you, what you actually learn from something. It's so internal and... and Hard, hard to put your finger on it, or sometimes I'd rather not say it because then it loses its uh, yeah, I can mystique yeah, for I me also. That. But definitely the voicings and the melody thing. But I would really like to hear him sing yeah. <laughs> sing this song. Yeah. He sings quite high most of the time. Yeah.
now I think of it, having those two saxophones, it's like like you would double a vocal in mm -hmm. a pop production. <laughs> All right. Remember how we um, needed a couple of attempts to get this feel. Mm -hmm. We're trying different things and yeah, ended I thought up about that too. Yeah, because mm -hmm. it wasn't that easy. Because you could have played it very straight ahead and it would have worked greatly, um, but it had to be something in between this free flowing thing, but still maintaining the time. Um, Not playing it too slow. Right, yeah. was a mistake we often made when we played it. I think. Yeah. Very, uh, it has uh, some unusual feels to it. Mm -hmm. Took us some time to get uh, used to it. And nice arrangement with the guitar intro too. Mm. Yeah, works really well. Was it kind of a singer-songwriter reference too, with the guitar intro? Um, maybe a little bit. Um, yeah, and also I just love I, I love listening to uh, Ronnie Graupe play intros. <laughs> or play, <laughs> him playing solo, yeah. solo guitar. So I wanted to have that color. And I think, yeah, I, lo I love his intro. I think he's mainly running the harmonies of the, uh, of the song, but uh, it sounds like he's discovering them in the moment, which I think is, yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah, and this rough, edgy style of playing of his is really a nice contrast to the smooth feeling later. In 2013, my grandmother passed away, and uh, so we got a couple of things from from uh, her house, and one of them was a box full of uh, cassettes, cassettes that we listened to as kids. One of them had a pretty uh, scary and and yeah, very very scary and, and uh, weird airplay of uh, the Beauty and the Beast, a German produced um, thing from it. And it had some little cue music in between. And I remember being so scared as a, as a kid. So I listened again to it and couldn't find the composer. So I don't know who wrote it, but I transcribed it and, and thought it would be a great vehicle for the band to play. So we just have just played the, the melody and now we're off for something different. I remember that you told us that during the recording you told the story yeah. and I, I remember that it changed my way of uh, going at the piece and mm. to, it took some in a good way again it took some of the seriousness out of it you know so that it's oh it's this child's ear play yeah. melody so Let's just play it as as that, you know, mm -hmm. and not as this modern contemporary whatever jazz composition. You know, yeah. it's more like a playful thing. 
that's how I approached it when we, when we played it. Gave me more freedom <laughs> in a way. Mm -hmm. We worked quite a bit on the instrumentation, who plays what and who's who's doubling which voice and and also I like here again the breathing uh, way of how Jonas you approached the time, which is not metronomic per se, but you know it, it breathes. Really breathes. The harmonium is, is it's really odd in there. In the, yeah. So sometimes these like really clear tones can sound like electronic stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. If you double them with an yeah, instrument. Yeah. The record closes with another live performance of a song that I think, yeah, I talked about Terra before being a song that I wrote uh, right after the first recording session for Glow One. And Chiffre is uh, from the same era, so written sometime in 2011. We have played this quite often with different guests and different configurations of Glow and and other bands as well. Pretty straightforward uh, lead sheet type of song with two sections, free blowing section. And this is from a live recording in Esslingen from 2015. With actually the same instrumentation and same personnel uh, like on the studio sessions. I remember we had the studio sessions in the in the vaults for a long time um, because there was other stuff that had to be put out before and also I felt like for certain pieces like Terra and Chiffre we didn't get the the right vibe for it in the studio so I was yeah, actively uh, making sure that we recorded each time we played which was not often uh, so it took a while for those uh, versions to emerge and I'm really really happy we, we were able to put Terra and Chiffre uh, on the record. So this is Chiffre. I remember that it was one of those moments where I just... Okay, I'm gonna start this. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you're in between the songs you, you try to take take everybody off notice uh, off guard by just starting way too early then, yeah. uh, and that's what I did I think in this yeah. I was happy that Philip joined me after some seconds <laughs> I remember when we first sound checked um, that I thought okay the fast tunes they're never gonna work because it was in a church and it was um, there was lots of reverb and um, but it turned out when there were people inside and I especially remember this tune, I, I still really remember how I felt playing it um, that it just started and we um, there was no hesitation in that version and that also and I wasn't worried about 
time or or anything, uh, although the sound was quite reverberant. Um, yeah. Normally you would think you need a tight acoustic for this kind of fast melody things. So that's not Robert. This is Henning. This is Henning, Jonas <laughs> and me, and Ronnie. of guitar piano moments in <laughs> on this record it was always building up to ascent <laughs> right <laughs> now it all makes sense but i also remember you encouraged the guitar players to play with you yeah it's true and the, especially ronnie I, i think we was kind of hesitant about it but then you got more and more into it and you uh, yeah was a sound you were searching for at that time. Yeah, sure. I really like this collective thing where it's it could be comping, but it could also be soloing. Now Hubert is joining. And this time it wasn't a harmonium and also no celesta. I think it was a little, uh, you call it pocket organ. I like what Henning is doing. Really goes against what you would normally play there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Robert. <laughs> is you're it me? Yeah, now you're joining in. Joining in. It's two really? bases now. Double bass. Doing what the bass is supposed to do in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, play the quarter notes, man. Come on. You know, with uh, Henning and me, it's um, it was always really nice to play with him because he's so flexible and open and, and really good listener. I've had so many um, opportunities to play with other bass players in a, in a tight little acoustic formation with two bass players, with three bass players, and of course, besides bands with a lot of other bass players, I love to meet with colleagues and, and hang and play and somehow we felt with Henning it, it felt really good so we kept inviting him and um, yeah as you can hear both of us we have really much fun to play and to exchange and to sw uh, swip roles like Kind of like the Joker role or like the bass role, like yeah, making clear what's what's underneath it all, or playing really different stuff on top. Always really felt great with him.
Yeah. Uber is introducing the high notes again. Mm-hmm. The organ. Right now I'm in the same situation listening as when I was playing. Okay, it's like, are we gonna end this? Or is it going on? What, what's happening here? I think we're going for an out head. <laughs> That's the natural thing happening after such a big build-up and energetic explosion. It has to fall apart. And mm. We naturally come to this point where things are uh, getting uh, put together uh, again. It is nice to to listen now. It's it's built again with cinematic material. Everybody is playing with the, the song. Check out Hubert's repetitions. Definitely the last piece. Yes. <laughs> for the record and for the live, for the concert. Fun to play. Thanks for being part of it, guys. <laughs> <laughs>